0: That thing. Still a couple weeks away from Ohio State's first game, but we're going to talk about the depth chart today and
1: have a lot of fun doing it. Because
0: there's, I think there's a decent amount to talk about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're a couple weeks away from the season now. I think three weeks ago yesterday. And I'll tell you what, what a wild first, you know, three, four weeks of the season. I mean, if you would have told me Oklahoma is one and two, and they haven't even played Texas or um, Oklahoma State yet, I would be shocked if you told me, you know, the defending champs LSU lost to a Mississippi State team that lost to Arkansas. Uh, I'd be shocked. So college football is back, and, and it's a lot of fun so far.
0: It, it's so different watching these games through the lens of being an Ohio State fan because you can think, okay, you know, I'm rooting against Florida because they might pick up, you know, who knows, a potential playoff spot for us. It's just more enjoyable. Uh, the games are a lot more enjoyable. I said this last week when there's fans in the stands for sure. I mean, we're not going to have that luxury as Ohio State fans, but it's it's just more enjoyable uh, watching these games, seeing everything and how it can affect Ohio State and kind of thinking that through. Because sometimes it's more it's you know it's more fun to watch these close games between highly ranked teams than watch Ohio State you know pound Rutgers fifty two to nothing on a Saturday. And so I kind of I kind of felt that you know the juices were flowing. I mean, we're not. We're not playing any games yet, but we can at least you know talk about the uh, offense and defensive depth chart today.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I am excited to do that, Mike. You know, we're we're gonna start off talking here about the offense and, um, you know, talent wise, you know, there's some inexperience at in the receiver position, you could say, but talent wise, you've got to think this is probably, you know, one of the most talented. Ohio State offenses that we've ever seen. I mean, you just look at the offensive line, and it's, you know, four-star, five-star, 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 five-star. It's it's unbelievable the receiver position loaded, you know, with depth. Uh, Justin Fields, obviously, Mike, um, just really excited to talk about this this team's offense.
0: Yeah, so, Nate, let's start at quarterback. Obviously, unquestioned, Justin Fields is going to be the number one on the field and also the number one quarterback. He had such an amazing year last year. There's no question about what the depth chart is here, but I'm just going to ask you, do you think it's reasonable for us to have expectations that Justin Fields is going to have a better year this year
1: than last year? Is that crazy? I think I think we have to be careful with this one. uh, if I'm being honest, I I have a hard time seeing. You know, I think last year his touchdown to interception ratio was like forty-one to three, um, and so I I don't know if it's going to be that crazy. Obviously, he's not going to likely get forty-one touchdowns purely because there's less games. Um, but that that's an incredibly high bar. Where I do think Justin Fields exceeds more than a season ago is in the yard department. I think he's going to routinely throw for, you know, 300-plus yards. He, he may rush for 100-plus yards um, from time to time. But I think that touchdown-to-interception ratio, we got to be careful. Just because, you know, he finishes the year, say it's 30 touchdowns and six interceptions doesn't mean that it wasn't a good season.
0: Yeah, he's also losing a second-round pick running back in J.K. Dobbins. He's losing two NFL receivers. So I think the talent around him, I think the offensive line, for the most part, is preserved, especially with Wyatt Mm -hmm. Davis coming back. So I think the pieces are there for him to have a very effective season. I think you might see him carry the team a little bit more. I think last year, sometimes, especially in the games later in the year, we saw I think J.K. Dobbins was probably our most effective offensive player running for – you know, it seems like routinely he was running for over 200 yards. It's like 30 carries. So I think he's going to have more to do and probably run more and use his legs more. But I think overall it, it's hard for him to live up to that. I, you know, I don't even mind if the interceptions are that high. If he's taking chances downfield and, you know, getting intercepted, throwing jump balls to Garrett Wilson, I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily, the you know, the worst thing. You just don't want him to see, have, like, stupid turnovers like that fumble he had on the goal line. I think that was against Nebraska or Penn State. I think it was Penn State, actually.
1: Uh, you yeah. just you
0: want to avoid stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. I love the idea of him carrying the team a little bit more. Um, this is unequivocally Justin Fields' football team. And, you know, towards the end of the season last year, I think he could have said the same thing. Um, but J.C. Dobbins, like you mentioned, had a healthy dose of, of him. I think Justin Fields is the guy. Mike, the one question I will ask you Um, looking at the depth behind Justin Fields, who do you expect to be QB two? You know, is it Gunnar Hoke? Kind of a, a, you know, fourth, fifth year guy, transferred from Kentucky. Is it uh, one of these young, exciting freshmen, CJ Stroud, Jack Miller? What do you think Ryan Day does um, with the rest of the quarterback room?
0: Depends on the situation. I think that if we're talking about, okay, you know, he's out for a quarter or two, kind of like the Michigan game last year. I think that's when you go to a guy like Gunnar Hoke who can, knows the offense really well. He can kind of get you a few first downs, maybe help run the clock out for one or two quarters, um, sort of like Chris Chuganov. But then if you have a situation where, you know, God forbid I'm going to knock on wood or Justin Fields is out for the year, then you, then I think you have to go to one of the young guys because you kind of have to start thinking about the program moving forward. And those are some key reps. To give them, if, if our season is basically over, or at least our national championship
1: aspirations. Yeah, I I, I think that makes sense. Yeah, if if kind of like you said early on in the season uh, against uh, a Rutgers or a Maryland, I I think you have to go with the young talent. But if it is a close game, um, you know, late in the season, Michigan, or even early, you look at that game against Penn State. Um, Gunnar Hoke might be the guy, Mike. Let's move. It's hard to top the strength in the quarterback room. Um, but if I had a unit to rival that, I think it'd be this offensive line. You know, you look, uh, left tackle to right tackle, the projected starter, Sayer Mumford, left tackle, third year starter at that spot. Uh, Harry Miller, big center prospect, um, five star kid out of Georgia, played a lot at and garbage time a season ago at center. They're planning to move him to left guard. Uh, then you got Josh Myers, second year starter at center. Uh, Wyatt Davis, the All American at right guard. And then it, it seems likely that Nicholas Petit Frere there is going to fit into that right tackle spot. Um, Paris Johnson maybe potentially could rival him for that, but I think it's probably going to be Petit ferrer Uh, Mike, what do you make of this offensive line?
0: I think it's good, but I think it's relatively thin because Paris Johnson, we don't even know. I mean, he's a true freshman. He hasn't played an actual snap. So I think it's hard for us to just assume he's going to be a great player and step in, you know, especially tackle is a hard position to figure out. So, yeah, if you talk about those five guys, I think it's the best offensive line in the Big Ten. I think there's no doubt about that. But there's not a guy necessarily like that that's in the, you know, one or two deep that I feel like could step in and play admirably, and I'm going to make a callback to that bowl game where we got smashed by by Clemson, you know, before Michael Jordan was a uh, – <laughs> or, you know, when Michael Jordan was injured in that game, back up. I, I forgot who it was at the time, but I, I think it was Demetrius Knox. That sounds right. I think it was Demetrius Knox. He just had a hard performance. So, you know, we don't want a situation like that. So I think it's good, but I don't think the depth is there necessarily.
1: Yeah, I, I look for, you know – I've I've heard out of camp that DeJuan Jones, uh, the big fella, is a guy that could. He's raw. He's pretty raw. He's raw. Could see some burn at guard as well. They've been trying him out in camp, Um, and so like you said, very raw. But if he's a guy that could play, you know, a guard spot, if heaven forbid Josh Myers or Wyatt Davis went down, you could move Harry Miller into the center spot and and put DeWan Jones at one of the guards uh, or something like that. I think you're right. It, the starting five could rival as one of the best in the country. Uh It's just that depth. Can guys like Paris Johnson, Enoch Famighi, uh Matthew Jones, and the like, can they provide the depth that, you know, sometimes is very much required? I think back to the, to the 2013 season, we lost the Big Ten Championship to Michigan State. Um, but at, I believe it was at Michigan, we lost um, Marcus Hall, our right guard. He got ejected. And Pat Elfline came in and played incredibly. And Pat Elfline, you know, became an All-American at Ohio State. And so who's the Pat Elfline of this group? That's what I'm a little bit unsure of. Um, it's going to be fun to see how this group develops.
0: It's hard to, yeah, to be a Pat Elfline. I mean, that's a guy that went on to be an All-American played the line at multiple spots, very versatile guy. So definitely big shoes to fill. Nate, I think I'm most excited probably about the receiver room, especially I think Garrett Wilson as a sophomore can make an enormous leap. Chris Olave, a guy who's made a leap each of his first two years. Uh, I, I'm super excited about those two. And then I think, you know, whether it's Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, as an H-back or Demario McCall, if you're finally going to get some run as a fifth year senior, we've been talking about him forever. Uh, the, the, the receiver rooms all, and not, not even mentioned Julian Fleming, right? So I think right. we we'll talk about the depth, the depth that we don't have on the offensive line, we have in the receiver room in bushels.
1: Yeah. And, you know, Brian Hartline, um, this offensive staff always been a staff that likes to run five, six, seven receivers out there. Um, every game and so on paper you look at those top six guys and it's Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, G. Scott, you know Mookie Cooper could Jalen Harris finally get some some playing time you know as a senior like you mentioned to Mario McCall could he get some playing time as a redshirt senior all names to be paying attention to like you said I I think pure talent standpoint, Mike, there is no group more talented than them. Um, they're just young. You know, Chris Olave started for a season. Garrett Wilson, you know, maybe started a couple games last year. Um, a ton of talent with those guys. And then, obviously, you kind of headline the freshman class with Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, I expect big things from them. I'm hoping, you know, the goal, Mike, should be that – by maybe next year this room is looked at the same way Alabama's wide receiver room is, you know, when they had Waddle and Smith and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. And it was just, you know, talent upon talent. I think that's the potential that this room has.
0: I totally agree with you. And I think our freshmen can probably, if you just line up those four freshmen at receiver, they're probably the best receiving core in the Big Ten, or at least that I can think of it. Yeah. I mean, the Big Ten, not exactly known for their receivers per se, not like the Big 12 or ACC or SEC even for that matter, but um, super good. I mean, look, they're not, we're not talking like LSU from last year or anything like that, but I think you essentially have minimum three NFL guys in this, like, in these, like, 10 deep, you know? And a lot of contributors, too. Let's talk about the yeah. running back because this is interesting. If the season started on time, uh, and what this is, like, way back when, before coronavirus, before we knew Trey Sermon was going to transfer, we saw Master T go down. We're like, what are we going to do? You know, the, mm-hmm. this, this running back room was, was weak, but now with Master T, he rehabbed his injury. He's probably going to be ready to go, if not week one, probably week two or week three, and we have Trey Sermon the grab transfer. So not our best unit, but I think we're looking okay.
1: Yeah. I think with the addition of Trey Sermon, this went from a group, of great uncertainty to tons of depth. Um, you know, you got, like you said, Trey Sermon, Master Teague, they're probably going to battle it out for that starting job. I expect them to, to share carries, probably ride the hot hand. I think Trey Sermon a little bit more of a threat in the receiving game. Um, so I could see late in games Trey Sermon getting more of the burn than Master Teague. Um, but then you look at Steel Chambers. Uh, Marcus Crowley looked really good last year until he got hurt got Mayan Williams in there. And, Mike, the thing to note, you know, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves with next season, but none of these guys are going to lose a year of eligibility. And so you have this same group, you know, Trey Sermon, maybe he goes pro, maybe he comes back. Um, And then you add Evan Pryor and Travion Henderson. Very quickly, this group becomes very, very deep. And even if they did lose a year of eligibility, I think they would all still be okay
0: because they're all, you know, sophomores or younger. Uh, Trey Sermon kind of the old man in the group being the grad transfer. Nate, how do you feel about the tight end? I think this is, it seems like Ohio State, we always produce NFL quality tight ends. You know, Nick, well, you can go down the list. You know, even going back to like Jake Stoneburner, we've had like decent tight ends, but the production's never been there in college just because of the scheme.
1: Not necessarily. Yeah. But I look
0: at a guy like Jeremy Rucker, he has such, such potential. He's yeah. had some amazing catches. But I just don't know, like, whether our offense is going to put him in a position to even get, you know, ten catches for the whole year.
1: Yeah, and and I think that this group um, is incredibly deep. Uh, you know, Luke Farrell, Jeremy Rucker, Jake Hoffman all played, you know, decent time a season ago. Cade Stover moved over from the defensive side of the ball. Heard good things about him uh, in camp. Mike, something that I would look for early on in the season, um, we mentioned the incredible talent in the wide receiver room, um, but they are young. Julian and Jackson Smith, all young guys. I wouldn't be surprised to see Ryan Day get a guy like Jeremy Ruckert out on the field a lot, especially in those first couple of ball games, um, and and that'll probably get supplemented away by some of these young receivers in the middle of the season when we're playing the Marylands and the Rutgers of the world. But I could see Jeremy Ruckert having a, a really big role, uh, maybe play him in the slot a little bit, get him in the scene. uh there early in the season. All all around, though, this is an incredibly uh, deep group. And, you know, Ruckert may go pro after the season, but to think, again, that all these kids could be back next season uh, is really exciting.
0: I'll take you one further. I think he'd even be more beneficial, sort of how the Patriots used to line up Gronk. Like you, you split him out and you kind of put him on an island and it's one on one. Because if if there's a situation like like where he's going to go up against a linebacker, I think he could probably beat him on a slant or even beat him over the top. He's definitely had, he has more speed than most linebackers in college football. And if it's a safety, you can kind of just play jump ball with him because he has the the height too. But I think Jeremy Ruckert, much like Demario McCall, just one of those guys who have been talking about his potential, and you kind of feel bad for him because he has not hit probably half of the ceiling that we would have thought that he would, you know, at this point. And Luke Farrell, like, you know, fifth-year senior, he just is a more complete tight end, and I think that's why he is the guy who plays more under Ryan Day. But I think you have two guys and Jake Hoffman, too. This is a pretty deep, deep room, uh, especially like we're never going to put more than one of these guys on the field at one time.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that Luke Farrell stays on the field because he's a real threat to block. Um, he does a really good job blocking and, and that's a spot, you know, Jeremy Rucker, maybe not his biggest strength. Um, but that's not overly surprising, right? We brought him in as a receiving threat. And so I hope that we can use him, uh, a lot more this season. Um, Mike, shifting to the defensive side of the ball, uh, what do you see from this D-line? Obviously, we lost, you know, our guy. We lost Chase Young, um, but also lost a lot of depth as the defensive tackle position. We lost Jay Sean Cornell. Um, we lost B.B. Landers. Um, we lost Davon Hamilton. So some significant depth gone at the defensive tackle position, is this a a group of strength this year? Obviously they got Larry Johnson leading the way. What do you think?
0: I think you can't really talk about the defensive line without talking about the linebackers and I think that we talked a lot about last year, like or even the year before that mostly, like how our linebackers kind of get exposed. Like Pete Warner's actually turned into a pretty capable uh, linebacker, and he was not that as a sophomore. So I think where we saw the defensive line help out the linebackers and kind of always get contact at to the halfback, you know, one or two yards within the line of scrimmage to slow him down. I think now we're going to see that linebacking unit help out that defensive line, and whether that's making plays in the backfield, I, it's a super experienced linebacking corps with Baron Browning, Tough and Pete Warner. So I think it's going to. I don't think we're necessarily going to be exposed on the defensive line, especially because the defensive line, all seniors and juniors, very experienced and guys who have been in this system for three-plus years.
1: Yeah, I'm honestly very excited to see some of these younger kids get a shot. Um, Obviously, Haskell Garrett's a little bit up in the air uh, with his gunshot wound to the face. Um, Can't believe that he is alive, let alone okay. Okay. Um, obviously hoping that he, you know, can recover. But Tommy Togiai, immensely talented kid. Teron Vincent was a five-star kid coming in, has battled injury a lot. You know, Antoine Jackson, five-star kid who transferred out of Auburn. Tons of talent at that the tackle spot. And I think you're right. I think Jonathan Cooper is going to do what he's got to do at the one end spot. And then I look for Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison, and even Javante John Baptiste. Um, to have big years at the DN position. I I think we as fans have to set right expectation though. No one's going to have 18 sacks like Chase Young, um, but combined, I think that they can do pretty well.
0: Yeah, Chase Young is a generational talent, and it's going to be more the sum is greater than, or the, whatever, the sum of its parts are greater than the individual pieces, basically, for for this team. There's not going to be a Chase Young. There's not going to be a Nick Bosa. There's not going to be a Joey Bosa. So, in some ways, it's an interesting conversation to have, because this is the first time in a long time that Ohio State hasn't had, essentially, a top-five NFL pick on its defensive line. And right. that's that's huge. You know, they, they, they take all the attention away from the rest of the line. I guess you could say we didn't have Nick Bosa uh, for a large part of his last year, but even then, we had Chase Young uh, on the opposite side. So, it's been a while this is probably the... the 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 smallest amount of talent that Ohio State has had on the defensive line for, for a while, but again, I think the linebackers and maybe kind of shift our conversation to them are going to, I think, pick up the slack. I feel like at some point, we have gotten on Baron Browning, tough Brolin, and Pete Werner so much, but now we essentially have the most experienced uh, linebacking court in the Big Ten, starting with three of those guys, and I, I don't know if we're ever going to really have all three of them on the field at once. Usually, we play with five DBs, but it's just sure. three rotating pieces that we can use a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah. From what I understand, uh, Pete Warner, had, he he played the Sam linebacker position, strong side, um, kind of known as more of a coverage guy. Um, and then the Mike linebacker, middle linebacker, Will linebacker, weak side are both basically function as – um Middle linebackers stop the run. That's kind of their role. And from what I understand, the defensive staff's trying to get Pete Warner over to that will position to play that with tough Warland and probably sub tough Warland out a lot of the time. And then put Baron Browning in this Sam, uh, linebacker position where he has tons of flexibility. He can get into coverage. He can get in space and make plays. He can blitz, um, and so I, I like that. I also think that it's important that we get some of these young guys out on the field, you know, Dallas Gantt, Harajah Mitchell, Kayvon Pope, all immensely talented, big-time recruits. They're juniors now. Um, so I, I think we can't be afraid to get these guys out there, especially a guy like Harajah Mitchell, um, who's probably more talented than Tough Warland. And so I think you're right. Linebacking core, very deep, I believe. Um, uh, Phil. Who, who's the guy? Phil Steele ranked this linebacking core the third best in America. Um, so a lot of experience, a lot of depth there. You got to think, Mike, that this this should be the year that we w- don't have to criticize the linebackers anymore.
0: And what you say? What you're saying about Tough Worland and Pete Warner kind of sw- swapping in and out? I think that would kind of be ideal because Tough Worland is a perfect first and second down linebacker does a great job playing the run and filling gaps. And then Pete Warner, uh, very athletic for being a linebacker, so he can definitely cover people on third down and blitz. Nate, it, was Justin Hilliard recruited in the class of 2010? Because I cannot believe he is still on the roster as, what, a, seventh, a sixth year senior at this point? Mike, I he's actually, actually think it year. was 2015.
1: <laughs> right, right. And year. I think he was 2015. <laughs> it's unbelievable. That's crazy.
0: We were still in college. <laughs> yeah. right,
1: right, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, it's another piece. It's it's another piece leadership, to the defense. I guess. Yeah, it's leadership. I think he's a captain this year. Um, he really is a kid that's been through a ton. You know, I I shouldn't even call him a kid. He's probably twenty five. Uh, but yeah, I love the depth of the linebacking room. Um, and transitioning to the defensive backfield, uh, a group that without Sean Wade's return, I definitely have con- some concern with, but with Sean Wade coming back, I- I'm excited about this group. I'm excited to see guys like Seven Banks and Cam Brown, uh, Tyreek Johnson. Uh, what do you think about this group overall, Mike?
0: Well, definitely wiping the sweat off my brow that Sean Wade uh, made the decision to come back because this is a super inexperienced uh, room. We would have lost Jordan Fuller, too. So, you know, you can't overstate that loss either. Josh Proctor, yeah, he's a junior, but if you think about some of the other juniors on this team, like Josh Myers, also a junior. Uh, Chris Olave, also a junior. Like, I feel like we've had – Josh Proctor's given us a lot of headaches over the last two years, and now we're we're relying on him as one of the safety spots. I just don't know. You know, this is, a, this is the position group that I personally, you know, I I don't know if we have the NFL talent or if we have the NFL bodies other than Sean Wade, obviously. But I also, I don't know if we have the depth either. You know, I, I feel like we might be in a little bit of trouble against teams that can really air it out on us. But the, the question is, do those teams even exist? You know, because I don't think right. – I don't, nobody in the Big Ten, I think, is going to be able to throw on us consistently. I, I I'm trying to think on the top of my head. Is there one NFL quarterback in the Big Ten right now other than Justin Fields?
1: Maybe Tanner Morgan. Um,
0: yeah, even him. It's like got to be borderline second round pick.
1: Right, and and a guy like him, you know, he's going to have to beat Michigan and Wisconsin and some other teams, if he even wants to face Ohio State, you know, if we, if we were to make it to the Big Ten Championship.
0: Yeah, so I don't, I don't see them getting exploited. Nate, if you had to say – if you had to give the offense and the defense a grade, let's just say, for your going into the season, and this is by Ohio State standards. So, obviously, you know, even on a down year, Ohio State's going to have be in the 90th percentile for probably offense and defense. But if you had to give this, you know, one to ten on your optimism for offense and defense, how would you grade those units?
1: I'm, I'm actually, Mike, I'm going to take a different approach on the ratings. And I, I, this just came okay. to me, you know, when you start NCAA football, like oh, I still yeah. play NCAA oh, 13, they give you the, the offense, the defense, and the overall. Um, the overall,
0: yeah.
1: And so I think offensively, I'd put this team at like a 96 Uh, defensively, probably like a 91, and then overall somewhere like 94, 95, um, which, you know, obviously is an A rating. Um, What what do you think, Mike?
0: I think we're definitely offense-heavy. If we're going to take the NCAA football approach, which I really like, I still play that video game all the time, I would say (laughs) 98 offense, 90. I'll even say 89 defense. I think this defense has a lot to prove. I think we lost the best defensive player in the country last year. I think there's a lot of players on this. I think there's potential for this defense, but, you know, it hasn't been that long since we were in a situation where we were seeing, remember, what was it, two years ago, the Dwayne yeah. Haskins team, the, where the defense was given up, what, 48 points to Maryland or something crazy like yeah. that? So even though the defense performed really well last year, let's not forget that was a defense that was getting shredded and they had Chase Young and they had Jeff Okuda on the field. So they had more NFL talent than this defense, so I think they still have to prove a lot to me. And I I think, unfortunately, it might be a situation where the defense isn't good, but it doesn't get exposed until the postseason because there's a lot of lacking talent in the Big Ten offensively.
1: Yeah, and I think it's going to either be exposed one of two ways, kind of like you said. It's either going to be this group has a ton of time to – grow and gel and figure each other out or they get exposed in the in the postseason, like you said. And, you know, early on, some of the favorites for the playoffs or for the Super Bowl, you look at a Clemson, uh, their offense is rolling. It's loaded. They haven't played anyone, but, hey, they got Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Alabama's going to be able to score points. Um, you know, those are kind of the, the surefire ones right now. Um, I don't know. You know, the Big Twelve doesn't look like they're going to have a team there, and so it uh, could be a Georgia. Florida is very high powered, so I think the defense is going to have to get better, and hopefully, they do throughout the season.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm optimistic. I think that just because they're starting low by our standards, I don't I don't think that means they can't improve. I think that most of the coaches are back from last year, so that's a positive. Obviously, Halfley, you know, the, he's doing his thing at Boston College, and I think that's a loss. But if you look at the positional coaches, uh, not too bad overall.
1: Nate, what's that I, I, I think, think – uh, oh, ahead, sorry. go ahead. I was going to say, I think special teams may be one of the places that were uh, strongest. I mean – to have yeah. a punter like Drew Chrisman and a kicker like Blake Hawbeil. Blake, Blake Hawbile has really improved. Uh, he's another guy, you know, at times you and I both frustrated with him. But he had a really good year last year. Um, so I, I love that group. You know, I, I think uh, there's a good chance Garrett Wilson's going to be returning punts again. Um, and he did a great job a year ago. And then, man, if we could just get DeMario McCall uh, in some space, on kick returns, could, could the drought of kick and punt returns for touchdowns at Ohio State finally be over?
0: And a quick trivia question. Can you remember the last time Ohio State got a touchdown on special teams? This those were all special teams, not necessarily I'm, in return.
1: I'm going to say it was, uh, Ray Small in 2009. <laughs>
0: Oh no! Uh, 2018, Alave the return punt against uh, Michigan. Um,
1: oh man! I think we had one. Like,
0: yeah. Before that, though, I think it was Jalen Marshall, 2015 or 14, against Minnesota, a return touchdown. But I think I went, I went um, way back. You know, yeah, you went way back. I mean, our special teams have been abysmal, but not not that bad. It hasn't been a 10-year drought uh, for us. But yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm. Look, I think Drew Christman is one of the best punters in the country. Blake Hobile. He's hit over 75% of his field goals in the last two years. Uh, You know, he he has hit a field goal from over 50 yards. So, you know, if the game's on the line, at least there's a shot he can make that. I think our coverage units have have always been solid since Urban Meyer took over as coach. I'm optimistic here. They don't grade special teams in NCAA football, but I would say we're probably like a solid 95.
1: Yeah, I I think that 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 is absolutely fair. And I hope that they can be, you know, a significant weapon for us this season. Uh, love Garrett Wilson returning punts. Just make sure he holds on to that football.
0: Yeah, yeah. We I'd rather have someone solid back there. And also, it kind of scares me with him being a valuable receiver. Uh, you hate to see the, those kind of guys return punts and then potentially get hurt. Um, but I guess we do have the depth at receiver. Like, I would almost rather have a guy just focus on returning punts. Like, let's just say Mookie Cooper because he's buried in the depth chart. Uh, at receiver, especially because there's no incentive to redshirt him because he's not going to lose a year of eligibility anyway. Just say, you know, you're basically our eighth receiver at this point. Why don't you just focus on punts, you know, and, and yeah. be like just our our punt guy. So that way Garrett Wilson doesn't have to, you know, be in a situation where he's potentially could get injured. But right, uh, that's just right. something that Ohio State always puts their teams to be, put their uh, best playmaker back out there. So regardless of who it is.
1: Right, right. Uh, honestly, I – on any more on punts, I would just say, just catch the dang ball. Fair catch it every yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine
0: with that. And it kind of ruins the, the purpose of having you gotta, like, wheel with wheels back there. But when you're like Ohio State, you just can't – you're going to win the game unless you have stupid turnovers or stupid plays, unless you're playing a, an equivalent team, right? So you just got to avoid those those drastic mistakes. All right. Nate, right. Is there anything else you want to touch on? in the depth chart or just Ohio State point of view in general before we move on to kind of the, the big picture topics and answer questions from the listeners? I don't,
1: I don't think so at this point. I'm just so thankful that we got Wyatt Davis and Sean Wade back, you know, officially. Uh, the Big Ten and they're ready to roll. Uh, and it's, you know, that's just incredibly significant that we have those two. Yeah,
0: that's huge, and I think having a Sean Wade come back to help out a secondary that is so unproven, and then having Wyatt Davis come back and step into a an offensive line which has some holes at the guard spot, uh, that's that's just enormous. So that, let's see. and we'll be talking about Ohio State's opener against Nebraska in a future podcast. But Nate, I think there's been enough college football games under our belt at this point where we can kind of draw some conclusions or at least preliminary conclusions. So the yeah. uh, first few weeks of college football in the COVID era, what's your just at-large impression? How do you think it's gone so far?
1: Man, I, you know, I think all things considered that it's, it's really been pretty good. Um, I have been incredibly impressed with just the like level of competition. It feels like, I, you know, I've watched a lot of Big 12 because the Big 12 was on first, but it feels like the the level of disparity between the Sun Belt and the Big 12 um, isn't that immense. You know, Arkansas State went to Kansas State and won, and then Kansas State beat Oklahoma a week later. And, and so um, I, I love the competitiveness. You know, it's I, I've even found myself watching, you know, games that I wouldn't, normally watch you know i was watching florida and south carolina the other day um i will say it's been a little bit sloppy uh texas tcu is one of the sloppiest games in in terms of flags i've ever seen uh but it's been so great to have that back um you know it's been great to have the sec back as well i think they really make the days feel stronger i'm pumped for miami and clemson this week uh you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun.
0: I was, thinking, I was trying to get myself excited for Miami-Clemson, but I was thinking about that. Like, when's the last time Clemson got a competitive game from a team within their conference? You know, I feel like they just fly through the regular season, especially with Trevor Lawrence. Um, the Big 12, this seems like a conference that's just going to, you know, eat itself. Right now they only have three remaining 2-0 and teams, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Kansas State. And even out of those teams, Iowa State and Kansas State both lost at a conference. So they have one undefeated team in the entire conference. And Oklahoma State looked okay, but they still have a backup quarterback in. So I don't know what to really think of them. It it seems like Alabama is hitting full throttle. What really stood out to me, Nate, and I guess I'll ask you it in, in these terms, like, what was your biggest shocker this year? I think the biggest shocker was just, Oklahoma losing not once but twice. I, mean, I yes, we've seen Oklahoma kind of stub their toe before, but they always run out the season. It, you know, the, what has been the Oklahoma constant over the year? It's been that they're going to go eleven and one, they're going to have a really good quarterback, and they're going to win the Big Ten or Big Twelve, and they're going to be in the playoffs, and they're going to lose the first game of the playoff. But you can't say that. I mean, Spencer Rattler looked pretty okay, pretty mediocre, definitely not good enough to pull off these last two wins. They lost twice, and they're not going to win the Big Twelve. And you know what's going to happen
1: to Lincoln Mert, Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I I think you have to go as far as to say, Mike, as as crazy as it sounds, that Oklahoma's out of the College Football playoffs, right? That like the yep. the chances of coming back from those two losses, you know, Iowa State maybe may play for a Big Twelve championship this year. I don't know, um, but I, I don't think that. I don't think that Kansas State is much better than six and four at best. Um, and so it feels to me like Oklahoma may re- like legitimately be out of the college football playoff race. And, you know, in large part, Spencer Rattler's looked okay. He hasn't looked terrible. They just can't run the football. Uh, and, and, it, you know, I was thinking this morning about, man, we have Trey Sermon. They lost Kennedy Brooks. He opted out for the season, who is kind of their number one guy. Trey Sermon's a Buckeye now. Um, and so they're hurting. They're, they're in a, a really tough spot.
0: And Nate, can I go off on a little rant for one second about the AP Top 25? I would AP love a rant. I think it's an – and this isn't really going to be like a well-thought-out rant, but it's just it's, – it's a joke. It's a joke how they just look at the logo, and it doesn't matter how many games they lose or how the teams actually play. They just put teams with a brand name into the AP Top 25 higher than they should be. Auburn looked terrible against Georgia. And Georgia almost lost to Arkansas. And they have Auburn at 13. Tennessee, who has the longest active win streak in the country among all FBS teams. Uh, Tennessee, they are 2-0, and they're 14. So for some reason, the voters have Auburn ahead of Tennessee. And LSU lost as a 17-point home favorite to a Mississippi State team. That lost to Arkansas. And LSU is 17. They're returning they're returning two starters on offense. Why do we think this team is still good just because they play in the SEC and because they have the brand name? And Texas A&M, I mean, Kellen Mont has been their quarterback for the last three years. It feels like he's been there for 10 years. And for Holy some reason, every, every year, they come in with the expectation of being a top-10 team. They get smoked by Alabama. They finish the year 7-5, and five, and somehow they're still ranked. Like, these rankings are a joke. There's seven top-25 teams in the SEC, and as a conference they only have four undefeated teams within two weeks.
1: That wow. That was both well put together. It felt like that came from some deep Danny Connell esque place. Yeah, um, I guess so. But but I'm with you, Mike. I mean, I, I look at I'm looking at the AP poll right now, right? And how in the world is Georgia ranked above Florida? You know, Georgia sure they beat Auburn, but we're we're both convinced they're not great. Florida's looked really good um in both their weeks um North Carolina's eight North Carolina's barely beat Boston College and Syracuse they're 2 and 0 how how is that uh you know like you said Auburn 13th BYU should be ranked higher i think again yeah, how is LSU, uh, how is LSU above a 4-0 SMU team i don't understand that Texas A&M's just bad i don't know why that team is is, is ranked in the top 25 at all? We go through this every single year. Jimbo Fisher somehow gets them ranked, what, eighth in the preseason poll, and then they do nothing. Uh, and so I, I am with you, Mike. I, I was chatting with a friend of mine today, and I wanted to pose this question to you. We're kind of on these big college football topics. Texas. Texas, you know, should have lost to Texas Tech a week ago. Texas they shouldn't should be, be one and two. They shouldn't be ranked. They're, they should be one and two. Um, they're going into Oklahoma this week. I think it's going to be hard for them to win because Oklahoma needs to win so badly. Um, but I want to present the question to you, Mike. Does Tom Herman make it through this season as the head coach? And if not, who's the guy to take that job over?
0: Gee, that's, that's hard. It's hard to say. Um, I think they actually will beat Oklahoma this weekend because I think they're going to – Texas is sort of in a familiar situation, uh, losing games early in the season, and then they kind of battled back and kind of you – know, <laughs> And then they, they
1: go 9-4 the and, and somehow play in the Sugar Bowl.
0: Exactly, yeah, versus Oklahoma, which I, they haven't – this is such an unfamiliar situation for them to start the year. One and two, with their only win being, I'm pretty sure, over an FCS team. So I think because it's such an unfamiliar circumstance, I think there might be a little bit of shock from from Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know who the right guy is because right now that program, if Tom Herman can't win with Sam Ellinger, who's been the quarterback for so long,
1: you know, he, he can be quarterback, next year,
0: and he can be again next year. He can be a 50-year starter uh, which, as a quarterback, which is pretty unbelievable, especially in the Big 12. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I don't think they're very good at the conference, but, and to kind of go back to what we were saying about the teams that should be ranked, why are we ranking these garbage, you know, Big 12 teams like Texas that should be 1 and 2 when we could rank a team like BYU in the top 10? When we can rank Air Force who only played one game. Air Force went 11 and 3 last year, and they were ranked, and they won the Mountain West, and they beat Navy 40 to 7. Why aren't they ranked? You know, it's, 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 it's really BS. Like, Why didn't Coastal Carolina rank? I'm I was just going to Coastal say, Carolina. what about
1: the Champlain Clears?
0: Yeah. They, they, they lit up Arkansas State. They dropped 52 on them. They dropped 52 on a team that beat Kansas State. And so, I, I don't know what to make of these rankings. I, I, I'm sort of flabbergasted. Uh, it's a joke. And then I, I guess what's equally a joke is that there's five Big Ten teams ranked in the top I was 25 and the, they haven't played a snap. But uh, I don't know. I think you just shouldn't be able to rank teams until they play a game. That's my own personal opinion because who knows. Uh, You know, it's kind of a joke. But I I don't know. Ohio State's sitting pretty at six right now.
1: They are, yeah, sitting pretty, zero and zero. They're sixth in the nation. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, who else is going to lose? Do Florida and Georgia play before Ohio State plays? I mean, let the Buckeyes keep moving up.
0: Yeah, why why not? Cincinnati's look pretty good. They're, they're 3-0, and but they're sitting at 11. There's definitely some American Athletic Conference bias there. But it, like, if a team's undefeated, a la UCF, what they've done over the past few years, I think it's going to be hard to keep a team out. Look, there's no cross-conference, or I shouldn't say there's no, but there's very few cross-conference games. So it's hard to make an argument. To keep out a team like Cincinnati or SMU out of the college football playoff over a two-loss SEC team, because how can you really prove for a fact that the F- American Athletic Conference, you know, isn't that much worse than the SEC? You know what I'm saying? Right,
1: right, yeah. And and Mike, that that just made me think. You know, who in your mind, who gets into the college football playoff? You know, let's let's get cut right to the chase, you know, it feels like Clemson got a shot. Yeah, Obviously Alabama got a shot, probably the Big Ten champ. Um, But the Big 12 doesn't seem to be sitting well right now. Is it, you know, UCF lost? Probably not going to get a shot. Um, Could it be in Notre Dame? You know, could the ACC have two teams? Could the SEC have two teams? If you had to guess right now, you don't have to uh, to have the teams, but what does the conference kick-up look like uh, oh, I'll, when the playoff comes?
0: I'll put faces to it. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll put some names there. I'm gonna say Clemson gets in, and I think that Notre Dame would have a chance, but the problem is Notre Dame's not gonna have any other impressive resume win, and they're gonna be sitting with the loss to Clemson, and what their next best win is gonna be maybe at North Carolina. I don't think that'll be good enough to keep them in. Uh, so give me Clemson out of the ACC. I like what I have seen out of Alabama and the SEC. Obviously going to go with Ohio State in the Big Ten. So I'm going chalk with my first three picks, Nate. But out of total left field, give me the BYU Cougars. I think wow. BYU is going to sneak in that four seed. I think they're going to run the table. And I think how they're beating teams by such margin, they've scored at least 45 points every game. They've allowed 14 or less every game. They don't have any ranked teams on their schedule, but they do go to Boise State in a chance to make a state and win. So, hey, you know, they can sneak up on teams. And if all these other conferences are eating each other, why not give BYU a shot as an independent uh, sitting at 10-0 at the end of the year?
1: Yeah. I, I will say, Mike, uh, BYU, I had a dynasty with them on NCAA 13. And could that be foreshadowing? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Did you, May, did you make
0: it to the NCAA championship?
1: Many a time. Many, and I threw the rock <laughs> all over the place, let me tell you. Uh, that was like 1984 BYU then. It was right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um <laughs> my, we, have, we have some questions from the listeners. We actually have a a, a few of them here. Do um, you want to hit those?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Let's round out the podcast with some questions. And remember, any questions you have for us, send them to at nutsforbuckspod.com. Also, one more thing, my Florida Atlantic Owls are also 1-0, so don't sleep on men either at a Conference USA. Let's go Thanks
1: FAU. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. So the first question we have um, comes from our good friend Zane, uh, Zane, loyal listener to the program all the way over there in Malaysia, Zane. Uh, it's about 8.30 in the morning. Uh on Monday. So Zane wants to, not, wants to know who has the strongest and deepest roster and what team could best survive their quarterback or another star missing multiple games due to COVID. So I think what Zane's trying to get at is, you know, what team in college football could best survive uh, a COVID outbreak?
0: I would say probably Alabama uh unfortunately, because they're so deep at every position. And I think if Justin Fields gets COVID, like, before Michigan week or before Penn State, I think it would be very difficult for us to win that game. But if Matt Jones were to get COVID, uh, they have Bryce Young, a true freshman quarterback who's considered, you know, a generational talent up there with Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence uh, from modern day in California. So he can step in. I just think they're a little bit deeper than us. At quarterback, I think they have more depth on us in the, in the defensive line. and But Ohio State's up there. I think Ohio State's definitely top three up there with Alabama and Clemson because we're talking about Alabama and Clemson now have had top five recruiting classes for the last four or five years. Ohio State has two besides one down year when we were transitioning between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day. So definitely those those three. And I would have said Oklahoma, but they seem to be proving us wrong on that front.
1: I'm uh, I I with you on Alabama Mike. I'm going to give the listeners just a kind of a sleeper one in that department. I'm going to say Florida. Uh Kyle mm. Trask has been outstanding. Uh but they have Emory Jones, you know, once the Ohio State commit to Ohio, you know, to Ohio State obviously. Uh big time kid, a lot of talent. He's played in, you know, games in the past and has done a really nice job and they're they just have a lot of weapons. Uh Kyle Pitts is an incredible tight end. I think last week he had nine catches for 180 yards and four touchdowns. I did the math on fantasy, and that's like 40 some points at the tight end spot. Um, they have Trey, Trayvon Grimes uh, and others. Just a really talented team. So I think Florida, you know, outside of the Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson's, uh, could be a team uh, with a you know that could survive something like that. Uh, next question comes from Jake. Uh, he just simply wants to know what team has the easiest, easiest. Excuse me, path to the playoff.
0: Normally, we say every year that it's Clemson, but I don't know if you can really. And it hit, what there was a joke. Who, who made the joke? Was it Urban Meyer that said that the Clemson schedule or something um, when the when the Ohio State schedule was announced? Yeah, I think it might have been Urban Meyer on big on big new kickoff. But you know, Miami this this week is a top ten team. Notre Dame is a top-ten team. They have to go to South Bend. They end the season at Virginia Tech, who's the top-20 team. And if they were to win those, and hypothetically they you know, might see a North Carolina in the ACC championship. Uh, actually, I'm not even sure if the ACC is having a championship game, but if they are, they would have to play North Carolina. So I think Clemson doesn't have the – and I bring up Clemson even though the question was who has the easiest because normally the answer would be Clemson. I think it's actually Ohio State. I think the shoe is on the other foot this year. I think that we catch Penn State early in the season before they really have a chance to ramp up and figure out who they are uh, defensively without Micah Parsons. And then I think, we end it, you know, playing Michigan, where we play Michigan, at the end of the season, I think we're also going to benefit from kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and come into that game extra focused. And other than that, you know, we had a really soft draw out of the West. So I, I would have to say it's us. I, you
1: know, I, I think that, we could definitely be considered. Um, and this, this one's probably not going to be one that people like, but I'm going to say Alabama. Um, I think that the SEC West is pretty overrated this season. Um, but they have so many ranked teams on their schedule. Yeah, no, they have so many ranked teams. Uh, but no, I, I look at this schedule and, yeah, they play LSU. I think they play them on the road. LSU is not who they were. You know, we, we dissected Auburn a little bit ago. They're not great. Texas A&M, terrible. You know, Ole Miss, Mississippi, Mississippi State lost to Arkansas. Um, and so I don't think the West is very great. And, you know, the, they do play Georgia. Uh, but if, to me, you line up Ohio State's uh, schedule to Alabama's, it's like, man, I think going to – Penn State and playing Michigan probably tougher than playing at home against Georgia, um, and so for that reason, I'm I'm going to say Alabama. I think they they can kind of cruise there. Now they could have a, a pretty tough test in the SEC championship if they get Florida. I, I do think Florida's a good football team, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say Alabama. Uh, hey, next, I, oh, I go will, ahead.
0: I will say one thing out of the SEC, and I agree with you that for the large part. The SEC is overrated, but I think the SEC West does have some scary teams with upset potential. Not necessarily upset potential for Alabama, but Arkansas's defense has looked pretty chippy through two weeks. They gave Georgia fits, and then they also shut down Mike Leach's offense. We know Mississippi State can pull upsets. They did one at LSU, and Ole Miss put up 77 points through two games. And say what you want about Texas A&M, I mean, yeah, I ripped them, but... You know, having Texas A&M there is definitely a scary offense. So they do have some teams that can knock off. Like, I'm actually going to make a major prediction now. I think LSU finishes the year with four losses. How about that?
1: Wow. Wow. That's bold. I, I actually, I, I love, uh, the college football podcast cover three. And I think it's Barton Simmons said he thinks he'll go four and six. Uh, Whoa. which, which would be pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, alright, next question comes from Tommy. Um, and he just wants to know, do you think that not having the normal home crowd environment will affect Ohio State this season, especially against a team like Michigan?
0: Um, y- man, it's hard to say. I think that it's basically gonna, be a zero-sum game because Ohio State is a situation like whenever we go on the road, it's the opposing team Super Bowl. So, yeah, we might not benefit from having it against Michigan, but having no home crowd when we travel to Penn State is huge in our advantage. So I think it's a zero-sum game, especially because that game would have been what? On Halloween? Uh, so that, that would have yeah. been like a really crazy environment for us to play in. Um, so, yeah, I think overall we probably benefit just because our hardest game happens to be a road game. But I think uh you could probably say it's a 0 sum game for the entire season.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think that in, you know, some of these uh games where they're not playing great teams, I think it, it, the temptation to come out sluggish is going to certainly be there. Um, you know, you think about a game like uh, against an Indiana or something like that. A team that has a little bit more talent um, and, and not having a crowd, I think that could have an effect. Uh, but we've seen Ryan Day do a good job with that. So I'm not overly concerned. Um, the last question we have comes from George. Um, and it it's an interesting one. You know, it's, it's a, he sent us this late last week, so it may be a little different now after the Arkansas game, but he asked, does Mike Leach's win over LSU expose a larger issue of inept SEC defenses, or did LSU only lose because of a major drop in talent from last year's national title team?
0: I actually – I said – I didn't say outright that Mississippi State was going to win, but I I bet on that game personally. And I think it's just the shock of it. You know, sometimes – uh, you'll play a team early in the season that runs the triple option and it's just something you haven't seen. So there's just shock associated with it. And I think that Mike Leach, who did so much of this like weird spread air raid passing system, LSU was just like, what the heck is going on? Like, you know, we're used to playing Vanderbilt where they run it off the middle for two yards on second and 10. Uh you know, And for having Mike Leach just essentially throw the ball every down, I think not having practices over COVID quarantine was, was bad for an LSU defense that had to replace a lot of talent. And I think just seeing a totally different offense that they couldn't scheme for, you know, they had to scheme for uh, a bunch of, they had to watch tape on Mississippi State's players from last season. They had to watch tape on Mike Leach's system in Washington State. And they had to watch tape on KJ Costello last year from Stanford. So they essentially had to watch three times the amount of tape as they normally would to prepare for a game.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think it really is kind of a talent. Um, you, you kind of mentioned it felt kind of like an anomaly. Um, I think it was, uh, definitely a talent issue as well. Um, they didn't get spring ball. The, the fall camp was limited and you're replacing, I mean, generational type guys. You know, obviously Miles Brennan takes over for Joe Burrow, but, Jamar Chase is gone. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is gone. Uh, Justin Jefferson's gone. They're, those are all first round picks. And and that's not even talking about the defense who lost, you know, a first round, maybe multiple first round linebackers, a first round uh, corner, you know, first round or middle round safeties. This is a really good football team. And so I think all of that kind of mixed together uh, made it really difficult. I, I, you know, I think Mike Leach will have some success in some areas, but if you can play zone against that air raid, I think you're going to be okay.
0: Nate, I want to end the podcast by asking you this, and we can kind of update this every week, but let's just say Nate Brown's on the college football committee, and you need to make your selection. The season ends today, even though some teams only play one game. Uh, some teams didn't even play. You could put in Ohio State in the playoff at <laughs> 0-0 if you want, but uh, the – if you had to make your top four today, who would you pick?
1: Man, what, what a what make? a fun question. What a fun question. Um, I am putting Alabama as the one seed. Um, I am putting Clemson as the two seed. Whew, the three seed. I think the three seed I'm putting Florida, and the four seed I'm putting the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh and which, zero and zero. <laughs> as zero and zero, which would be a rematch Sugar Bowl against Alabama, one versus four of that twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen game, which would be a lot of fun. Um, you know, honestly makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, but I'd like to think that the Buckeyes could go and win. What about um, you, Mike? i
0: I'm definitely going to Alabama one, Clemson two. There's no question about this. I'm gonna. I don't like to be a resume guy, so I BYU BYU in number three. Uh, yeah, the fighting, the fighting Mormons with uh, Mitt Romney's nephew out there catching passes.
1: Right. Uh, uh, number
0: four, I'm gonna go with. I was gonna pick like my argument against the Florida and Georgia teams is like if you didn't know that they were Florida and Georgia, and you just looked at the way they played. Auburn's not that great, so I don't want to – any team that has Chad Morris as their offensive coordinator is not uh, is not that great. Not not great in my book. So I'm going to leave them both out because I thought they were unimpressive. And I'm going to put in uh, Tennessee. I think Tennessee has been kind of the underreported story out of the SEC East. Wow. I think everyone's talking about Florida and Georgia, but I totally could see a situation where Tennessee beats one of those teams uh, you know, maybe one of the other teams gets upset and they go into the SEC championship game with uh just one loss. So uh give me Tennessee number four. I, I like the wild wow. work so far. Jared I was, I was
1: Garantano.
0: That. Yeah, he's good. He's not bad. And you know, I'm not gonna be as bold and to say Ohio State gets in at zero and zero like you. I think uh, you know, the, the all the BYU fans that are listening to this podcast are probably screaming at you, what more do they have to do to get playoff Yeah. <laughs>
1: Hey, might as well put the Chanticleers in there too.
0: Oh, they're number five. They're uh, they're in the oh. CPU spot from 2014. Yeah. Oh, that. They're, hurts. they're a fun team to watch. They're a fun team to watch. I will say. <laughs> and you know, not a fun team to watch. The Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz is getting killed on Sunday Night Football already. Carson um,
1: Wentz. What NFC happened? something else. Yeah. What has happened? He, Goodness.
0: Anyway, that's going to do it for us. Another week in the books, Nate. We'll probably come back next week and attack the, uh, well, yeah, I guess we, have, well, we have three weeks from yesterday to kick off, so we'll probably be able to sneak in two podcasts, definitely get a preview game, the Nebraska game uh, before that Saturday. Super excited. It feels like it's almost there. It's, it's so close. It's so close, and it's crazy to think that less than a month ago, we didn't have any Big Ten football to look forward to.
1: I know. It it is. It's so crazy. 3 weeks away. Um it's going to be cold. It's it's getting chilly up here in Ohio. I think probably the same for you over there in Boston, Mike. Uh it feels like football weather and and I can't wait.